Chapters 5 and 6 of Joseph Andrews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Joseph Andrews by Henry Fielding. Book 4, Chapter 5. Containing Justice Business, Curious Precedents of Depositions, and other matters necessary to be perused by all justices of the peace and their clerks. The young squire and his lady were no sooner alighted from their coach than the servants began to inquire after Mr. Joseph, from whom they said their lady had not heard a word to her great surprise since he had left Lady Booby's. Upon this they were instantly informed of what had lately happened, with which they hastily acquainted their master, who took an immediate resolution to go himself, and endeavour to restore his Pamela, her brother, before she even knew she had lost him. The justice before whom the criminals were carried, and who lived within a short mile of the lady's house, was, luckily, Mr. Booby's acquaintance, by his having an estate in his neighbourhood. Ordering, therefore, his horses to his coach, he set out for the judgment seat, and arrived when the justice had almost finished his business. He was conducted into a hall, where he was acquainted that his worship would wait on him in a moment, for he had only a man and a woman to commit to Bridewell first. As he was now convinced he had not a minute to lose, he insisted on the servants introducing him directly into the room, where the justice was then executing his office, as he called it. Being brought thither, and the first compliments being passed between the squire and his worship, the former asked the latter what crime those two young people had been guilty of. "'No great crime,' answered the justice. "'I have only ordered them to Bridewell for a month.' "'But what is their crime?' repeated the squire. "'Larceny, and it please, your honour,' said Scout. "'Aye,' says the justice, "'a kind of felonious, larcenous thing. "'I believe I must order them a little correction, too, "'a little stripping and whipping.' Poor Fanny, who had hitherto supported all with the thoughts of Joseph's company, trembled at that sound, but indeed without reason, for none but the devil himself could have executed such a sentence on her. Still, said the squire, I am ignorant of the crime, the fact, I mean. Why, there it is in Pieper, answered the justice, showing him a deposition which, in the absence of his clerk, he had writ himself, of which we have with great difficulty procured an authentic copy, and here it follows, verbatim et literatum. The deposition of James Scout, layer, and Thomas Trotter, yeoman, taken before me, one of his majesty's just asses of the peace for Somersetshire. These deponents, saith, and first Thomas Trotter for himself, saith, that on the blank of this instant October, being Sabbath day, 
between the oars of two and four in the afternoon. He zed Joseph Andrews and Francis Goodwill walk across a certain feld belonging to Layer Scout, and out of the path which leads through the said felde, and there he zed Joseph Andrews with a niff cut one hassle twig of the value as he believes of three halfpence or thereabouts and he saith that the said francis goodwill was likewise walking on the grass out of the said path in the said feld and did receive and carry in her hand the said twig and so was come farting eating and abating to the said joseph therein and the said james scout for himself says that he verily believes the said twig to be his own proper twig etc etc chesu said the squire would you commit two persons to bridewell for a twig yes said the lawyer and with great lenity too for if we had called it a young tree they would have been both hanged harky says the justice taking aside the squire i should not have been so severe on this occasion but lady booby desires to get them out of the parish so lawyer scott will give the constable orders to let them run away if they please but it seems they intend to marry together and the lady hath no other means as they are legally settled there to prevent their bringing an encumbrance on her own parish well said the squire i will take care my aunt shall be satisfied in this point and likewise i promise you joseph here shall never be any encumbrance on her i shall be obliged to you therefore if instead of bridewell you will commit them to my custody oh to be sure sir if you desire it answered the justice and without more ado joseph and fanny were delivered over to squire booby whom joseph very well knew but little guessed how nearly he was related to him the justice burnt his metemus the constable was sent about his business the lawyer made no complaint for want of justice and the prisoners with exulting hearts gave a thousand thanks to his honour mr booby who did not intend their obligations to him should cease here for ordering his man to produce a cloak-bag which he had caused to be brought from lady booby's on purpose he desired the justice that he might have joseph with him into a room where ordering his servant to take out a suit of his own clothes with linen and other necessaries he left joseph to dress himself who not yet knowing the cause of all this civility excused his accepting such a favour as long as decently he could whilst joseph was dressing the squire repaired to the justice whom he found talking with fanny for during the examination she had flopped her hat over her eyes which were also bathed in tears and had by that means concealed from his worship what might perhaps have rendered the arrival of mr booby unnecessary at least for herself the justice no sooner saw her countenance cleared up 
and her bright eyes shining through her tears, than he secretly cursed himself for having once thought of Bridewell for her. He would willingly have sent his own wife thither to have had Fanny in her place, and, conceiving almost at the same time instant desires and schemes to accomplish them, he employed the minutes, whilst the squire was absent with Joseph, in assuring her how sorry he was for having treated her so roughly before he knew her merit, and told her that since Lady Booby was unwilling that she should settle in her parish, she was heartily welcome to his, where he promised her his protection, adding that he would take Joseph and her into his own family if she liked it, which assurance he confirmed with a squeeze by the hand. She thanked him very kindly. She would acquaint Joseph with the offer, which he would certainly be glad to accept, for that Lady Booby was angry with them both, though she did not know either had done anything to offend her, but imputed it to Madame Slipslop, who had always been her enemy. The squire now returned, and prevented any farther continuance of this conversation, and the justice, out of a pretended respect to his guest, but in reality from an apprehension of a rival, for he knew nothing of his marriage, ordered Fanny into the kitchen, whither she gladly retired, nor did the squire, who declined the trouble of explaining the whole matter, oppose it. It would be necessary, if I was able, which indeed I am not, to relate the conversation between these two gentlemen, which rolled, as I have been informed, entirely on the subject of horse-racing. Joseph was soon dressed in the plainest dress he could find, which was a blue coat and breeches, with a gold edging, and a red waistcoat with the same name and as this suit, which was rather too large for the squire, exactly fitted him, so he became it so well, and looked so genteel, that no person would have doubted its being as well adapted to his quality as his shape, nor have suspected, as one might, when my lord blank blank, or sir blank blank, or mr blank blank, appear in lace or embroidery, that the tailor's man wore those clothes home on his back, which he should have carried under his arm. The squire now took leave of the justice, and calling for Fanny, made her and Joseph against their wills get into the coach with him, which he then ordered to drive to Lady Booby's. It had moved a few yards only, when the squire asked Joseph if he knew who that man was crossing the field, for, added he, I never saw one take such strides before. Joseph answered eagerly, Oh, sir, it is Parson Adams. Oh, la, indeed, so it is, said Fanny. Poor man, he is coming to do what he could for us. Well, he is the worthiest, best-natured creature. Ay, said Joseph, God bless him, for there is not such another in the universe. "'The best creature living, sure,' cries Fanny. "'Is he?' says the squire. "'Then I am resolved to have the best creature living in my coach.' And so saying, he ordered it to stop, 
whilst Joseph, at his request, hallowed to the person, who, well knowing his voice, made all the haste imaginable, and soon came up with them. He was desired by the master, who could scarce refrain from laughter at his figure, to mount into the coach, which he, with many thanks, refused, saying he could walk by its side, and he'd warrant he'd kept up with it. But he was at length over-prevailed on. The squire now acquainted Joseph with his marriage, but he might have spared himself that labour, for his servant, whilst Joseph was dressing, had performed that office before. He continued to express the vast happiness he enjoyed in his sister, and the value he had for all who belonged to her. Joseph made many bows, and expressed as many acknowledgments, and Parson Adams, who now first perceived Joseph's new apparel, burst into tears with joy, and fell to rubbing his hands and snapping his fingers, as if he had been mad. They were now arrived at the Lady Boobies, and the squire, desiring them to wait a moment in the court, walked in to his aunt, and calling her out from his wife, acquainted her with Joseph's arrival, saying, Madam, as I have married a virtuous and worthy woman, I am resolved to own her relations, and show them all a proper respect. I shall think myself, therefore, infinitely obliged to all mine, who will do the same. It is true, her brother hath been your servant, but he is now become my brother, and I have one happiness, that neither his character, his behaviour, or appearance, give me any reason to be ashamed of calling him so. In short, he is now below, dressed like a gentleman, in which light I intend he shall hereafter be seen, and you will oblige me beyond expression, if you will admit him to be of our party, for I know it will give great pleasure to my wife, though she will not mention it. This was a stroke of fortune beyond the Lady Booby's hopes or expectation. She answered him eagerly, Nephew, you know how easily I am prevailed on to do anything which Joseph Andrews desires, who, I mean, which you desire me, and, as he is now your relation, I cannot refuse to entertain him as such. The squire told her he knew his obligation to her for her compliance, and going three steps, returned and told her he had one more favour, which he believed she would easily grant, as she had accorded him the former. There is a young woman, a nephew, says she, don't let my good name make you desire, as it is too commonly the case, to impose on me nor think, because I have with so much condescension agreed to suffer your brother-in-law to come to my table, that I will submit to the company of all my own servants, and all the dirty trollops in the country. Madam, answered the squire, I believe you never saw this young creature. I never beheld such sweetness and innocence, joined with such beauty, and with all so genteel. Upon my soul I won't admit her. 
replied the lady in a passion, the whole world shan't prevail on me. I resent even the desire as an affront. And the squire, who knew her inflexibility, interrupted her by asking pardon and promising not to mention it more. He then returned to Joseph, and she to Pamela. He took Joseph aside, and told him he would carry him to his sister, but could not prevail as yet for Fanny. Joseph begged that he might see his sister alone, and then be with his Fanny. But the squire, knowing the pleasure his wife would have in her brother's company, would not admit it, telling Joseph there would be nothing in so short an absence from Fanny, whilst he was assured of her safety, adding he hoped he could not so easily quit a sister whom he had not seen so long, and who so tenderly loved him. Joseph immediately complied, for indeed no brother could love a sister more, and recommending Fanny, who rejoiced that she was not to go before Lady Booby, to the care of Mr. Adams, he attended the squire upstairs, whilst Fanny repaired with the parson to his house, where she thought herself secure of a kind reception. CHAPTER Six, OF WHICH YOU ARE DESIRED TO READ NO MORE THAN YOU LIKE. THE MEETING BETWEEN JOSEPH AND PAMELA WAS NOT WITHOUT TEARS OF JOY ON BOTH SIDES and their embraces were full of tenderness and affection. They were, however, regarded with much more pleasure by the nephew than by the aunt, to whose flame they were fuel only, and this was increased by the addition of dress, which was indeed not wanted to set off the lively colours in which nature had drawn health, strength, comeliness and youth. In the afternoon, Joseph, at their request, entertained them with an account of his adventures, nor could Lady Booby conceal her dissatisfaction at those parts in which Fanny was concerned, especially when Mr. Booby launched forth into such rapturous praises of her beauty. She said, applying to her niece, that she wondered her nephew, who had pretended to marry for love, should think such a subject proper to amuse his wife with, adding that for her part she should be jealous of a husband who spoke so warmly in praise of another woman. Pamela answered, indeed, she thought she had cause, but it was an instance of Mr. Booby's aptness to see more beauty in women than they were mistresses of at which words both the women fixed their eyes on two looking-glasses, and Lady Booby replied that men were, in general, very ill judges of beauty, and then, whilst both contemplated only their own faces, they paid a cross compliment to each other's charms. When the hour of rest approached, which the lady of the house deferred as long as decently she could, she informed Joseph, whom for the future we shall call Mr. Joseph, he having as good a title to that appellation as many others, I mean that incontested one of good clothes, 
that she had ordered a bed to be provided for him. He declined this favour to his utmost, for his heart had long been with his fanny, but she insisted on his accepting it, alleging that the parish had no proper accommodation for such a person as he was now to esteem himself. The squire and his lady both joining with her, Mr. Joseph was at last forced to give over his design of visiting Fanny that evening, who, on her side, as impatiently expected him till midnight, when, in compliance to Mr. Adams' family, who had sat up two hours out of respect to her, she retired to bed, but not to sleep. The thoughts of her love kept her waking, and his not returning, according to his promise, filled her with uneasiness, of which, moreover, she could not assign any other cause than merely that of being absent from him. Mr. Joseph rose early in the morning, and visited her, in whom his soul delighted. She no sooner heard his voice in the parson's parlour than she leapt from her bed, and dressing herself in a few minutes, went down to him. They passed two hours with inexpressible happiness together, and then, having appointed Monday, by Mr. Adams' permission for their marriage, Mr. Joseph returned, according to his promise, to breakfast at the Lady Boobies, with whose behaviour, since the evening, we shall now acquaint the reader. She was no sooner retired to her chamber than she asked Slipslop what she thought of this wonderful creature her nephew had married. Madam, said Slipslop, not yet sufficiently understanding what answer she was to make, I ask you, answered the lady, what you think of the dowdy my niece, I think I am to call her. Slipslop, wanting no further hint, began to pull her to pieces, and so miserably defaced her, that it would have been impossible for any one to have known the person. The lady gave her all the assistance she could, and ended with saying, I think, Slipslop, you have done her justice, but yet, bad as she is, she is an angel compared to this Fanny. Slipslop then fell on Fanny, whom she hacked and hewed in the like barbarous manner, concluding with an observation that there was always something in these low-life creatures which must eternally extinguish them from their betters. Really, said the lady, I think there is one exception to your rule, I am certain you may guess who I mean. Not I, upon my word, madam, said Slipslop. I mean a young fellow. Sure, you are the dullest wretch, said the lady. Oh, la, I am indeed. Yes, truly, madam, he is an accession, answered Slipslop. Ay, is he not, Slipslop, returned her lady, is he not so genteel that a prince might without a blush, acknowledge him for his son. His behaviour is such that would not shame the best education. He borrows from his station a condescension in everything to his superiors, 
yet unattended by that mean servility which is called good behaviour in such persons everything he doth hath no mark of the base motive of fear but visibly shows some respect and gratitude and carries with it the persuasion of love and then for his virtues oh, such piety to his parents such tender affection to his sister such integrity in his friendship such bravery such goodness that if he had been born a gentleman his wife would have possessed the most invaluable blessing to be sure ma'am says slipslop but as he is answered the lady if he had a thousand more good qualities it must render a woman of fashion contemptible even to be suspected of thinking of him yes i should despise myself for such a thought to be sure ma'am said slipslop and why to be sure replied the lady thou art always one's echo is he not more worthy of affection than a dirty country clown though born of a family as old as the flood or an idle worthless rake or little puisny bow of quality and yet these we must condemn ourselves to in order to avoid the censure of the world to shun the contempt of others we must ally ourselves to those we despise we must prefer birth title and fortune to real merit it is a tyranny of custom a tyranny we must comply with for we people of fashion are the slaves of custom mary come up said slipslop who now knew well which party to take if i was a woman of your ladyship's fortune and quality i would be a slave to nobody me said the lady i am speaking if a young woman of fashion who had seen nothing of the world should happen to like such a fellow me indeed i hope thou dost not imagine oh no ma'am to be sure cries slipslop no what no cried the lady thou art always ready to answer before thou hast heard one so far i must allow he is a charming fellow oh me indeed no slipslop all thoughts of men are over with me i have lost a husband but if i should reflect i should run mad my future ease must depend upon forgetfulness slipslop let me hear some of thy nonsense to turn my thoughts another way what dost thou think of mr andrews why uh, i think says slipslop he is the handsomest most properest man i ever saw and if i was a lady of the greatest degree it would be well for some folks your ladyship may talk of custom if you please but i am confidous there is no more comparison between young mr andrews and most of the young gentlemen who come to your ladyship's house in london a parcel of whipper-snapper sparks 
I would sooner marry our old Parson Adams. Never tell me what people say, whilst I am happy in the arms of him I love. Some folks rail against other folks, because other folks have what some folks would be glad of. And so, answered the lady, if you was a woman of condition, you would really marry, Mr. Andrews? Yes, I assure your ladyship, replied Slipslop, if he would have me. Fool! Idiot! cries the lady. If he would have a woman of fashion, is that a question? No, truly, madam, said Slipslop, I believe it would be none if Fanny was out of the way, and I am comfortous. If I was in your ladyship's place, and liked Mr. Joseph Andrews, she should not stay in the parish a moment. I am sure Lawyer Scout would send her packing, if your ladyship would but say the word. This last speech of Slipslop raised a tempest in the mind of her mistress. She feared Scout had betrayed her, or rather that she had betrayed herself. After some silence, and a double change of her complexion, first to pale and then to red, she thus spoke. I am astonished at the liberty you give your tongue. Would you insinuate that I employed Scout against this wench on account of the fellow? La, madam, said Slipslop, frighted out of her wits, I assassinate such a thing. I think you dare not, answered the lady. I believe my conduct may defy malice itself to assert so cursed a slander. If I had ever discovered any wantonness, any lightness in my behaviour, if I had followed the example of some, whom thou hast, I believe, seen, in allowing myself indecent liberties, even with a husband, but the dear man who is gone, here she began to sob, was he alive again? Then she produced tears, could not upbraid me with any one act of tenderness or passion. No, Slipslop, all the time I cohabited with him, he never obtained even a kiss from me without my expressing reluctance in the granting it. I am sure he himself never suspected how much I loved him. Since his death thou knowest, though it is almost six weeks, once but a day ago, I have not admitted one visitor till this fool, my nephew, arrived. I have confined myself quite to one party of friends, and can such a conduct as this fear to be arraigned? to be accused, not only of a passion, which I have always despised, but of fixing it on such an object, a creature so much beneath my notice. Upon my word, ma'am, says Slipslop, I do not understand your ladyship, nor know I anything of the matter. I believe, indeed, thou dost not understand me. 
those are delicacies which exist only in superior minds thy coarse ideas cannot comprehend them thou art a low creature of the andrews breed a reptile of a lower order a weed that grows in the common garden of the creation i assure your ladyship says slipslop whose passions were almost of as high an order as her lady's i have no more to do with common garden than other folks really your ladyship talks of servants as if they were not born of the christian specious servants have flesh and blood as well as quality and mr andrews himself is a proof that they have as good if not better and for my own part i can't perceive my dears footnote perhaps meaning ideas are coarser than other people's and i am sure if mr andrews was a dear of mine i should not be ashamed of him in company with gentlemen for whoever hath seen him in his new clothes must confess he looks as much like a gentleman as anybody coarse quotha i can't bear to hear the poor young fellow run down neither for i will say this i never heard him say an ill word of anybody in his life i am sure his coarseness doth not lie in his heart for he is the best-natured man in the world and as for his skin it is no coarser than other people's i am sure his bosom when a boy was as white as driven snow and where it is now covered with hairs is so still ifikins if i was mrs andrews with a hundred a year i should not envy the best she who wears a head a woman that could not be happy with such a man ought never to be so for if he can't make a woman happy i never yet beheld the man who could i say again i wish i was a great lady for his sake i believe when i had made a gentleman of him he'd behave so that nobody should deprecate what i had done and i fancy few would venture to tell him he was no gentleman to his face nor to mine neither at which words taking up the candles she asked her mistress who had been some time in her bed if she had any farther commands who mildly answered she had none and telling her she was a comical figure bid her good-night end of book four chapters five and six read by dennis sayers in modesto california for librivox